Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 20. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also in the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trophosa. Greet the beloved, the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God, I thank you so much for this deep, deep love that we could never find the bottom of, we could never find the edge of or the limit of. God, I thank you for your power, for your grace and your mercy that you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sin and gave him power to raise again and sit on your right hand and to apply his blood as the sacrifice for my sin. Father, I thank you for your omniscience, your all-knowing, that you knew before the foundation of the world that you had a plan to save us from our sin. God, I pray that you would bless as we get into your word. This is your love letter to us. This is your instructions to us. This is the truth behind the spiritual reality that underlies and uh, overlaps our physical reality. Father, please give us a hunger to know what the truth is, how reality really works from your point of view. Please help us, God, to be surrendered in our hearts to Surrender to your truth, God. We have our own opinions. We have our own ideas based on our experience and our wants and our fears and our needs. God, help us to surrender to your truth, to let you show us the light of your truth and of your gospel. Please bless in the preaching that it would be with truth and boldness and courage. And God, help us to listen to you. And Holy Spirit, please work in us. Amen. Thanks, Chris. This is Welcome Back Sunday. It's uh, a Sunday that we have been calling that probably for about the last six or seven uh, years. And there's nothing really 
um, theological about it. It really does a couple of things, though. It recognizes that with this Sunday, the Sunday after Labor Day weekend, there's a shift in our habits and there's a shift in our disciplines and uh, particularly families that have uh, kids going back to school. Um, uh, maybe we've been out camping. Uh, you've got a camper and you've been off camping and just uh, you don't like doing that in this kind of rain. So our, our disciplines have shifted a little bit. Um, we also uh, want to recognize that it is a time when people are coming back to church. Um, maybe they've moved over the summer, maybe they've just been away for a while, and so it's a Sunday that uh, a lot of people just gather again for the first time, and some people are determining whether or not they want to make this their church home. And so we've just called it Welcome Back Sunday for those reasons. Uh, we're putting together a, um, on our website in a series of sermons, the last uh, three-year sermons, and this one will be added to it. So there's a package of four sermons because I've been doing a series over these last four years called The Church That Jesus Is Building. And it really has meant to remind us who this is our home church, what we're all about. And it also is meant to or intended to give those who are looking for a home church an idea of what Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church is all about. Uh, the first sermon um, back in 2015 was um, what our church believes. And we went through seven of the key areas of doctrine, um, certainly not all of them, but seven of the key areas of doctrine that set us apart, that describe what you're getting into when you come to Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. Then back in 2016, we looked at the topic, what the church is. And we looked at a number of the biblical metaphors for the church, and then we just unpacked simply Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. We did it backwards. We started at Church, Baptist, Parksville. No, Church, Fellowship, Baptist, Parksville. Just to give you an idea of what exactly this local church was all about and some of the highlights about um, our local body of Christ. And then last year, we focused on how the church is built. Uh, by that we mean, what are the means of grace whereby this church is, is built, where the Bible says these are the things that you do to see a church grow. And so we looked at five means of grace that God uses um, in order for a church to grow in maturity. Uh, this year I simply want to spend some time in Romans chapter 16. It's not a chapter that we usually spend a lot of time in, even in our personal devotions. You come to a particular text like this, and it's like a genealogy sometimes. You look at all the list of the names, and you, you think, well, I can't even pronounce them. How am I going to get anything out of this text? And we just kind of skip to the end of Romans and then jump into the book of Acts. Um, well, I want us to spend a little bit of time here. And in fact, I'm not going to be able to get through all that I had wanted to get through today. And what I would encourage you to do is on your own this week to just think about it a little bit more closely, to mull over some of the things that I might just highlight along the way. But I think this text shows us the diversity of the church. It shows us what belonging to a church looks like. It shows us the kinds of people that belong to a church. And so that's why I wanted to stop here. Um, how is uh, belonging strengthened by being part of a church? One of the things that you'll see as we go through this text, and if you just read it on your own, you'll realize that belonging to a church is not optional. There really is not anything that you can find in the Bible that describes a lone ranger Christian. We need the people of God. The, the church has been designed, or God has, has put the church together so that we are in a relationship with one another. And it's very difficult for me to justify or have a discussion with someone who says, well, I don't need the church. I, I don't go to church, but I'm a follower of Christ. I think that's possible, but it's certainly less than ideal. 
And so you get the sense of going through that text, that this text that uh, belonging to a church is not optional. You read about Paul. He's connected with a variety of churches. He has been helped by the churches. He gives thanks for the churches. He recognizes that these churches interact with one another. Um, he uh, recognizes that these there's a, a dependence that we need from one another, that there's an interaction that is necessary for the people of God to grow in health and maturity and strength. After all, that's what we understand when we think about a body, right? One of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the church is a body, a single body. And we know that you can't say to a part of your body, well, I have no need of you, unless you're a tonsil. And there's not a lot of tonsils in the church. But if you're an ear, you can't say, I don't want you. I don't need you. If you're an eye, you can't say, I don't need you. If you're a hand, you can't say, I don't need you. God has designed us to rely on one another, to be connected with one another, to help one another. But we live in an age that is increasingly um, striving for individualism. An age in which independence is seen as a badge that we wear, where isolationism is growing, where this desire for radical autonomy is something that we pursue and follow after. I think we have to do better than that. I think we have to bring people back to the longings of our hearts, which really are to be associated with one another. And I think particularly that relates to the younger generation, the I generation, who is increasingly, it seems, being separated from face-to-face -face contact with people. Oh, there's interconnectedness, but there's not personal connectedness. I was reading a book today that I've just started reading on the I generation. And uh, one of the uh, things that the author quotes at the beginning is that many of these people in the I generation um, uh, check their phones over 80 times a day. But they'll never have 80 personal connections, but they check their phones or their tablets 80 times a day. What we need to do is better, be better at drawing people back into face-to-face -face relationships with one another. So the church is really not optional. It's a place where there's interdependence amongst one another. Secondly, you might have noticed as Chris was reading the passage, the names. There's 26 names at least that I count. I think that's really important because that tells me that everybody has a name. And names identify us. Names uh, uh, make us uh, stand out. Names um, um, give us a unique um, uh, sort of perception amongst people. And so my question would be, what's your name? Do we know your name? Do you know other people's names here? Do you, do you come in a, a few minutes late and leave a few minutes early? Some of us are wearing the name tags. I just got mine stuck on me because I forgot it in the first service. But this is a, a great start. It says, I am Paul, not Peter or John or Larry. I'm Paul. And that makes me unique. It makes me um, uh, different from the rest of you. And if you don't have a name tag, I'd encourage you, if you're just starting to come here, to just make a note on one of the cards and say, I'd like a name tag, and we'll get one. And you just get them at the back, and you wear it, and it really helps when it comes to talking with people. I forget names so often, and I'm thankful that people wear their name tags. But behind every name is a story. Behind every name is a personality. And when you begin to known by name, you begin to open up and become accessible. And so that's part of what it means to be part of a, a church, is to be known by name. And we see that here. 26 people that Paul singles out by name because we matter as individuals. So I would encourage you, if you've just started coming, introduce yourself. 
or maybe find out two or three people's names of people around you that you don't know yet and just begin to interact with them on a first name basis. It changes the way you perceive people. So we come to the text. There's three points that I really want us to think about uh, today. The first is simply the way Paul describes the church and then the common denominator about the church in this particular text. I think sometimes we overlook the basic things that we have in Scripture. And the first is just the various ways in which Paul describes the church. He calls it a church. He talks about Phoebe and he says she is a servant of the church. A church is simply a group of assembled ones. In theology or in Christian circles, it's a group of called out ones. It's a group of individuals that uh, used to be in one spot and now they're in another spot. It's a, it can be a physical spot. It's certainly a spiritual spot. It's a designation that's used of the Old Testament church as well as the New Testament church. We use, this, we use phrase like, we have been called out of darkness into light. We have been called out of the world. And next week we'll go back into the book of Revelation and hopefully finish it by the end of November. But there we are said to come out of Babylon. We are called out of Babylon. And so the church is a unique people. Uh, people. We are called out of society into this makeup of an, um, a really diverse group of people. We are saints. A number of times in this text, Paul refers to the church and the people in it as saints. This is not a designation for a few special people, for our deacons or for our elders. This is a designation for every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a saint. Now, we understand the word saint in a couple of different ways. One, everyone who is justified, that means are a Christian, you are a saint. But we understand that we are a, a little ways away from sainthood, so to speak. So that's what we are in God's sight by justification. That's what we become through sanctification and through discipleship. So what we are is we are saints in God's eyes, but we are, coming, we are becoming saints as we walk in this world. But that is a designation that applies to every one of you. So before your name tag, you could have St. Paul. <laughs> talk to my wife and she might not agree with you but uh, you could have Saint Larry or Saint Karen I'm just looking at names all your names are flashing through. every one of us is a saint that's another way of describing the church I love this phrase in here approved in Christ uh, that's a, another way of defining people who are part of the church we've been looking at that in the book of Revelation those that are approved in Christ those that are sealed those that are set apart um, those that are approved in Christ are those who are conquerors they have, um, they have persisted in obedience to God. They have maintained the testimony of Christ in the midst of trial and difficulty. An approved one is a tested one who has passed the examination. And so all of us are in this, um, this reality that we are walking in this world. And as we walk with God and as we stay with Christ, we are approved in Christ. There's another phrase that's used on one particular individual. It's called the first convert in Asia. Christians are called converts. We are converted from something to something. And we are converted to, from following the course of this world now to following Jesus Christ. We've got a change of our thinking. We've got a change of orientation. We were walking this way, and now we're walking that way. We are now being made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so the church is described as a group of converts. If you're following Christ today, you are a convert. We are also chosen in the Lord of Rufus. It said Rufus was chosen in the Lord. 
Now, that's not something that only applies to Rufus. It implies to every single Christian. The Bible talks about election. The Bible talks about being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. In the book of Revelation, we'll find out a little bit later where it says that the, the Christians are described as called and chosen and faithful. God has set his love upon us. He has chosen us. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are a Christian today and a follower of Christ, it is because God has chosen you. It's a wonderful reality to reflect on and let your mind and heart be full of appreciation for his great love. Finally, there's a, a word, a phrase that's used a number of times. And this is absolutely critical. It is the phrase, in Christ. In Christ or in the Lord. Every single follower of Jesus Christ is described as one who is in Christ or in the Lord. If you are not in Christ or you are not in the Lord, you are not part of the church. You may have been brought up in a great family. You may have been part of a church all your life. You may have served in the church. You may have given of your time and your money to the church. But if you are not in Christ, you are not part of the body of Christ. And this is one of the things that we think is so important here. It's one of the things that we try and talk about every week. There's songs that talk about Christ. There's messages that we point people to Christ. It is in Christ that you become part of the church. That is the one thing that we all share in common as part of the church is we are in Christ. That is what we are excited about. That's what we praise God for. That is what we are thankful for is our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. So that's what we have in common. What about the breadth of those who belong to the church? What does or should the church look like in reality? We are a really diverse group of people. And it's, I, I like that. I, I don't ever want to try and squish us all into the same mold. Every Sunday I talk to people and I, I find out ways that they serve and ways that God is working in their lives. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that, that we're not all the same. There's this amazing diversity in the body of Christ. And I hope that Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church continues and increasingly reflects its community around us. I never want us to be known for a single generation or a single kind of race or a single gender. I want us to be made up of every single kind of people that calls Parksville or that calls Oceanside their home. Married people, young people, old people, single people, different races and nationalities. You read through this text and you find the various ways that, uh, that, that, that um, people who belong to the church. There's Jew and Gentile. That's a way of describing racial diversity within the church. And that's the way it should be, should it not? Because the, 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 the book of Revelation describes um, uh, uh, John looking out and he sees people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. The gospel does not know ethnic barriers. The gospel bursts and breaks all of those ethnic barriers. And so our church should be a reflection of those ethnic um, diversities all around us. Secondly, we read about couples working together. There's two couples mentioned in, in this book, um, in this little chapter. I, I think this is great. It doesn't work for everybody, but there are times when couples take on ministry together. And it's a wonderful thing to see. We find Priscilla and Aquila. 
uh, working together as a team for the kingdom of God. We see Andronicus and Junia working as a team. So well did they work that they had a reputation of being outstanding. We have widows in the church um, uh, that are at work. Um, I think Rufus's mother is uh, probably a widow. We have two sisters that are mentioned who serve together, Tryphinia and Tryphosa. Uh, it seems like they were never married and they are serving the church together. And so Paul describes those who are sisters. There were some in the church who were new to Christ. There were some in the church who had been part of Christ for a long time. There are various different backgrounds of people. Some have done studies on names uh, in these ancient days. And if you were from a high class, uh, you were from a ruling society, you used certain names for your children. If you were a slave or a freedman, you had certain names that you used for your children. And so by using, understanding that, people have gone through Romans 16 and they have realized that there are the vast majority of names here, many of the names here, reflect um, slaves and freedmen. But there are also names that indicate people came from wealth and from the high class in society, which is beautiful to me because, again, it shows that the church breaks socioeconomic barriers. And that's the way it should be. A church should not be just for the rich or just for the poor. It shouldn't be just for one class and not the other class. That's one of the beautiful things about the church. It's also one of the things that causes some of the strains and the challenges of the church is there's no other group that I'm aware of that has such a reach across socioeconomic um, uh, barriers. And so we see that in the church. And that tells me, that gives me hope. Because that shows me that the gospel knows no barriers. And that ought to be encouraging to you and I. We ought not to be narrow in our praying for people to come to Christ. There's a church that we've been following, and uh, they, um, you might hear more about this down the road, but uh, they encourage their congregation to pray for three people that they would come to know Christ. And they have a way in which they do that. Um, we've talked about that from time to time, and we may talk about that more in the new year. But of those three people, they say, have one person on your list which you don't think will ever respond to the gospel. I love that. Because that reminds us that it's not about us. It's not about my ability to communicate. It's not about my words. It's not about my performance. It's all about the power of God to save. And there's nobody that is outside the reach of the gospel. And so this is a wonderful list that we have here in this um, particular section of scripture. The third point. The way of those who belong to the church. What does belonging to the church look like in practical ways? If you've been part of this church or you're thinking of joining this church or making this church your home, one of the things that I appreciate is we've just talked about the incredible diversity of the church and what has brought them together is that they're in Christ and they're all working for a purpose that is so much bigger than themselves. I think that's one of the things that has been an appeal to Christians, and it's also one of the things that has maybe held people back from the church. Sometimes the church has got such a low bar of what they want to accomplish, what they want to do. Other times the, the church and the call to missions and the call to serving and the call to God is so big that people want to be some, part of something that is so much bigger than them. And you get a sense of that as you read through this text. So everyone has a story. What's yours? We read through this particular story and we find out that some were generous and we'll come back to that in a sec. Some of them risked their necks. It's a beautiful phrase. They put their lives on the line 
for other brothers and sisters in Christ. One was the first convert in Asia. Others worked hard in the Lord. Some had outstanding reputations. Others are described as good friends. On and on the list goes. We're to use our gifts amongst the people of God. And we are to tell our stories amongst the people of God. One of the ways that we tell our stories is through these cards. That, uh, this will be the last Sunday they'll be on the chairs for a while. And we'll put them back in maybe five or six weeks. But it's, it's been amazing as you have filled out those cards to hear your stories. I wish every one of you could read all of the cards that, that we get of what God is doing in people's lives. But another way that we tell our stories is in growth groups. If you're in a growth group, we have a section in our notes uh, almost every time we do the notes, which is my story. And it's an opportunity for people to share a little bit of their life, a little bit of the, their walk, a little bit of the way they live. And so if you're not part of a growth group, we encourage you to be part of a growth group. Savannah will be at the back and you can talk to her about that. But look at the ways that we're unique. Phoebe. Phoebe's described as a servant of the church. That's, a, that's an amazing, doesn't tell how, it just says she was a servant of the church. You get a little picture of what that is um, because uh, it says that she was a patron or a benefactor of the church. A patron or a benefactor is somebody that uses their resources for a cause. And so it seems that Phoebe had some considerable resources and she was using those resources to help individuals and help the church. Paul says she helped me and she's helped others. This was her unique way of serving in the church. Maybe that could be some of you. That God has just blessed you with resources and you, don't, you use those to further the work of the kingdom of God. We have Priscilla and Aquila. We know about them from the book of Acts. They were involved in discipleship. They were the ones that took a young man who was full of the gospel and full of guts and full of glory, but he got a few things wrong. And so they took him aside and they explained him the way of faith a little bit more carefully. They came alongside Paul and encouraged Paul. But that was their unique gift. Others we read, a number of them worked hard. Some of them very hard. It doesn't say what they did. It just says this was their commitment to the church and to the work of God in the communities in which they live. It's, it's looked at from a number. One of it is just physical exhaustion. Have you ever worked so hard that you've just been done? You've just been physically worn out? This is what's described in that word. Other times it's talking about an emotional strain where they work so hard that at the end of the day they're spent. They have nothing left to give emotionally. Other places it talks about uh, being so emotionally spent that you're given to discouragement. Maybe that's why Paul wrote, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we reap if we do not give up. There's a sense of camaraderie. I don't know, when you read this text, you'll come across it twice, but we find this in other places of the Bible, fellow prisoners and fellow workers. You can't be a fellow prisoner or a fellow worker by yourself. In other words, it, it describes the camaraderie amongst the people of God. It doesn't mean that Paul was in jail with them or Paul was suffering or working with them at the same time. He just says, we're in this together. There's a bigger cause. Some of us suffer together. As we pursue the, the, the kingdom of God, and as we serve the church, we suffer for it. Some of us, we work together. We've got a team of 11 people right now over in um, Molokai um, working on a little church there. Those are fellow workers together. We are part of that because some of us has given to that so we can support the, the job that they're doing there. We are fellow workers with them. There's a sense of camaraderie that should be part of the church. You can't be that if you don't belong to a church says some of them opened their homes. Not everyone has a home that can accommodate 
groups of people. The, the homes uh, where the churches met and often could accommodate 40 to 80 people. These were large homes with big courtyards and they could accommodate people. So Paul said their church is in their home. Some of us a home that could accommodate a growth group. And so we open up our home to have people come and we show hospitality in a warm, comfortable place to talk and work out our faith together. Some of them can be a good friend. Three times in this passage, Paul talks about people who are beloved. The Holman Christian Standard says they were a good friend. Do you know how many people in the church just need a good friend? You won't find this in the gift list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but you find it in, first, or in Romans chapter 16. Somebody you can go out for coffee with. Somebody you can share a bit of your life story with. Somebody who just bears with you. Not like Job's comforters who just attacked him. He just said, I want, Job just says, I want somebody to listen to me. Sometimes that's what somebody in the body of Christ needs. They just need somebody to listen to them. Do you know that there are people even in this church that are lonely? Sometimes just somebody to go for coffee with. Somebody to go for a walk with. Is all that they would need to strengthen them in their walk with the Lord. Rufus. Rufus. Paul says um, uh, of Rufus, she was like a mother to me. I don't know if you've ever had somebody else's mother be like a mother to you. I have. When I left Saskatoon to come out to Victoria, I was 17 years old. I threw everything I owned in a little red Celica. And uh, yeah, it was, they still, I don't think they make those things anymore. And I made my way out. I had about 120, 150 bucks in my pocket. I didn't have a job. I didn't know where I was going to stay. I made it out to Victoria and I spent a number of nights sleeping in my car and then I thought, well, I'll go to the church where my dad used to be a pastor. They liked my dad. <laughs> and uh, the first night I was there, I met a fellow who would become a, a friend of mine. Heard a little bit of my story. I wasn't following Christ. And he said, you know, my mom always has a room in our house. Why don't you come and stay with us? For the next year and a half, number of months, his mom became my mom. She cared for me. She prayed for me. She cooked for me. That's not what mothers do only, but she, she just was a mother to me. Do you know how many of our little boys and our youth boys could use a father? They don't have a father in the home. They have nobody that models what it is to be a man, what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a father. Do you know how many girls in our vacation Bible school maybe could also use a mother? What about some of us here who are here on our own and we're lonely and we could use somebody to be like a mom or a dad. Again, you won't find that on the 1 Corinthians 12 gift lift, but you find that in Romans. This is how the church worked together. This is how they lived out their faith amongst one another. See, we all have a place. We all have a role. We're not a carbon copy of one another. God has uniquely gifted each one of us and I believe brought us to Parksville and brought us to Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church to contribute to the people of God here and the community out there. And Romans 16 gives us a little bit of that picture. So as you think about this Sunday, I know it's just a Sunday, but it's sort of a Sunday where we go over a few things again. I hope that if you've been coming here for a while or you're thinking of coming here, this is a place where you can be known, where you feel comfortable sharing your name, where you feel comfortable sharing a little bit of your story with us, where you want to open up a little bit as we walk this road towards heaven. Everybody has a name. Do we know yours? Secondly, I want us to think about Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church as being a place 
where you can contribute in unique and meaningful ways. Might not be a way that's found in 1 Corinthians 12 or some of the other gift lists. It might be a way that's found in uh, Romans chapter 16. It might be a way that's not even recorded in Scripture anywhere. But everyone has a gift. Everyone has something that they can offer. Are you using yours? And then finally, it is my desire, and I know it's your desire as well, that Parksville Fellowship Baptist be a church where Christ is the head, where Christ matters, where Christ is taught, where Christ is sung about, where Christ is magnified. Because that is what makes us part of the church. That is what unites us together. That is what we do have in common. It's our connection with Jesus Christ. That's what it means in part to belong to a church. And I hope that if you make this your home, you will find this a place where you can belong. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this passage that really has a lot to teach us about how we connect with the body of Christ, the ways that we serve in the body of Christ. And I thank you for those that call this home. Father, we're not a perfect bunch of people. In fact, if you come to this church long enough, you will realize that there are sinful people, that there are suffering people, that there are difficult people. But Father, you're at work in each one of our hearts and lives. And through your spirit, you are transforming us each and every day more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that this will be a place where we can walk this journey together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.